Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Garden Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George, the Martyr in Tales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. And I am joined as always by the director of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing today? Good afternoon to you, my brother. I'm doing, oh, I'm a bit tired after um, coming back from <coughs> drive to Paul to do a wedding and also had an early funeral this morning. It's quite heavy because the, you know, the mother who died is not too old. Um, uh, but lots of people, some people even standing outside in the burden of, you know, not being able to accommodate people also bears on one's shoulders. But um, the both both events were very um, refreshing mm-hmm. and engaging. Um, so my tiredness is not, you know, heaviness. It's um, about, um, I don't want to call it satisfaction <laughs> of the job. Uh, I just want to say that it, um, it's been a blessing. Let me put it that way. So um, I'm looking forward to resting a bit longer than I did when I got back um, because the mind needs to sort of wind itself a little bit down before tomorrow. And I can think of no better winding down of the mind than spending time with you on this podcast and uh, looking at uh, liturgy in a refreshing and challenging way. Yeah, that's really flattering. <laughs> all the lovely words. <laughs> Obviously, all the love that you've witnessed today of, uh, at that uh, at the wedding. <laughs> it's all latent there. <laughs> yes. Um, it is the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are still within the season of creation. The theme is pray and <clears throat> act. For our common home. We are obviously also celebrating Heritage Weekend or Heritage Day was celebrated on Friday. Um, Happy Heritage Day to everybody. And yeah, it's always one of those deep times of reflection for me as living in a brown skin and not having a full picture of my family tree. yeah, it's difficult, especially with kids who are of school going age and they have to dress up there to dress up on Thursday. And obviously on Wednesday night, I was within a pick and pay clothing, found myself once again scrambling for a Springbok shirt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hope I hope it was a good one for you. I hope you spent it with people who you love and explored the different facets that make you uh, yeah, how was your Heritage Day? You know, one of the things I thought about was a conversation that I had with an African-American guy when we were talking about, you know, who we are and where we're from. Mm. And he said to me, in the incident, he actually wrote a memo Archbishop is um, and into theology. Uh, Michael Battle, very brilliant. Um, he's a professor in systematic theology or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he, he said to me, Rodney, you know, I'm listening to you. I just don't understand why you can't associate yourself with being African. That means mm-hmm. belonging to the continent. And that made me think very much more deeply. It's amazing, you know, you need to encounter people, different people, to to make you to think a little bit more deeply about what you think Mm. in order to to grow in your understanding of stuff. And it does actually ask, you know, am I also listening to that which is different to what I normally am uh, associating myself with? And I so this conversation took place much well probably um, probably twelve or thirteen years ago, if not more than that. And what dawned on me was, am I happy with the term colored? Can I can I live with myself? I think I've always had a inner resistance to it because I understood from my 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 religious foundations that. I was more than just that, uh, that or any classification itself. 
Mm. Um, and 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 but but knowing that I'm more itself is a mystery because we have a limited number of so many hundreds of thousands of words available to us. How do we use of those words, which has their own biases and contexts, mm. to give us a true sense of our identity? Because identity has to do with our heritage, who belongs. I mean, in my circles, my grandfather, and that's as far as I can go, on mm. my dad's side, mm. comes from St. Helena Island. <clears throat> my uh, And I had very little association with him. He died when I was still very, very young. Yeah, I've got photos yeah. of him. I can't remember a conversation with him. No speaking about the island from him. Then I... From my mom's side, I am my 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 mom's my dad's mom, who's apparently from the Boer Cup. I also had no session she was dead, dead before I came along. Mm-hmm. And then from my mom's side, a little bit more history known there because my grandfather is from Steinkoff and my grandmother is from Pokip. Um, so the Macoland then features uh, deep in my history. Both my daughters were born there. And often what is associated with the Macoland is daisies. Mm. And uh, young girls, young ladies born there are seen as Nakwa daisies. That's besides those who've now coined uh, um, a, a liquor um, refreshment and a Nakwa daisy mm. bought in a, <laughs> bought in a, what's it? And apparently school children love this. I don't know where they come onto it, but I, I was part of a school management <laughs> committee when we when children were caught drinking this on the bus on the way to school. Mm. So there was a whole thing about it. But yeah, and the Macoland stands out deeply. I went to work with my wife and the children were born there. So I was one of the grandchildren that made the round trip on mm. my mother's side. So Steinkoff was part of my pastoral care. Um, okay, not so much, but definitely other parts of it. Um, so when I look at my heritage, it's caught between St. Helena Island and the Macoland. Mm. Now, what is in between? Because part of my theological development happened in Transkai. Um, the college at St. Bede's was only for black students. Mm. And I shared part of me in the heritage of that college. So that is part of who I am. But there in a Isikosa setting, we on a little island were caught up in the vernacular around the Anglican Church of Southern Africa, which included Portuguese, which included other languages. So the heritage of my language is... Is although I haven't developed um, common speech in any of them except English and Afrikaans, I would sing to my heart still like the Zulu hymns, Zulu, Zulu written hymns, mm. the Isikos written hymns. Um, and I still remember some of them and, and parts of that in the service itself, some even Sutu. So who am I then when I celebrate my when I celebrate Heritage Day? I am me and I'm everybody in mm. including me. Um, but I, and I just want to just add in our earlier conversation before you started the recording, having read a book from Ellen Busak, learned there the, the, the Khoisan's understanding of God. <coughs> Pardon me. God is seen as the wounded, the, the warrior with the wounded knee. Mm. That, that talks about a God he really involved in the everyday life of of, you, of humanity and creation. Um, God doesn't walk away without bearing the wounds of the interaction of mm. life. So who am I? I'm me and I'm everybody. Hmm. That's my heritage. Uh, I take a more practical view of it and a more heavenly view, if you can understand. Um, where it's like I am what we all are, and that's 
remnants of stars that have died long times ago that ticked out all the elements that are in our bodies. Um, we are stardust. Um, and we are one with the Earth and all the other carbon-based life forms on this planet. And therefore, we are all interconnected. And the energy of one flows into the other and completes a circle or a cycle. And yeah, I'm always conscious of that. In terms of birth lineage, it's a complex story, not so clued in about my dad's side, but my mom's side. Um, her dad was from Wuppertal, so there's Koi um, roots there going up towards the Northern Cape. And then her mom was from St. Helena, which, I mean, that's where the slaves came through the gateway um, to, towards South Africa. So there's a lot of that involved. But yeah, I, I was reflecting in, in one of my writings um, this week that I never got to ask the questions of my parents and yeah i now make a point of trying to answer all the questions that my kids have yeah so yeah it's kind of starting from zero which i like because i get to shape um my own story <laughs> rewrite the history of the past <laughs> <laughs> just reframe it reframe it putting it into a different lens uh but on that um, Reverend, if you could please call us together with a collective prayer, and then I'll catch up with you in the book of Esther. Thanks, Lindsay, and greetings to all of you. Tune in to <coughs> participate in this act of worship uh, on a pot on this podcast where we discuss the scriptures more deeply in relation to the liturgy. And again, I'm extending an invitation to join us. Please let us know and we could include you in this conversation. So my brothers and sisters, on this, the 18th Sunday of Pentecost, after Pentecost, with a theme, prayer and act for our common home, the Lord be with you. We continue with the colleagues of both the for the 18th Sunday of the Pentecost and for the for this um, theme uh, based on prayer and act for our common house. It's on the screen for you to pray with me. Mysterious God, reveal the narrowness of our blinded sight and make us aware of all who serve your purposes so that together we will celebrate the glory of your reign through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever God creator of the universe fill us with your love for the whole of creation awaken us the passion to work for your world with passion and boldness lift us up on eagle's wings so that we may not be overwhelmed by the task ahead. In the power of the Holy Spirit, who renews the face of the earth. Amen. So the reading is from Esther chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, 9 to 10, and chapter 9, 20 to 22. So Esther is a very interesting character. Um, the book of Esther is also one of the two books, um, the other one being the Song of Songs, which doesn't mention God. Um, it's more a tale of people. <laughs> um, and yeah, Esther was obviously a Jew, or at least a Hebrew, within the Persian Empire, and then King Xerxes took, him, took her as his wife, so she became a queen. And we catch up in a little bit of a conflict uh, where Haman was trying to, well, he had a beef with her cousin Mordecai and yeah, he was trying to murder Mordecai. Um, yeah, so I'll, well, Xerxes is also interesting <laughs> uh, because he's not actually named Xerxes. In this translation he is, 
uh, but it's called by other name. It just has escaped me now, and it is not in my notes. Uh, Hasurus, which we assume is Xerxes. So if you've ever watched the movie 300, um, where the Spartans went to go fight, and the king in there, the Persian king, that was this Xerxes, allegedly. Um, so, and the and so the king and Haman went to eat with Esther for a second time. Over the wine, the king asked her again, Now, Queen Esther, what do you want? Tell me, and you shall have it. I'll even give you half the empire. Queen Esther answered, If it please your majesty to grant my humble request, my wish is that I may live and that my people may live. My people and I have been sold for slaughter. If it were nothing more serious than being sold into slavery, I would have kept quiet and not bothered you about it. We are about to be destroyed, exterminated. Then King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who dares do such a thing? Where is this man? Esther answered, our enemy, our persecutor, is the evil man Haman. Haman faced the king and queen with terror. So then she explains about how Haman built this crazy gallows um, that was 75 feet tall to hang Mordecai. And then King Xerxes is like, actually hang Haman on it. And so Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Then the king's anger cooled down. Mordecai had these events written down and sent letters to all the Jews near and far throughout the Persian Empire, telling them to observe the 14th and 15th days of Adar as holidays every year. These were the days on which the Jews had rid themselves of their enemies. This was a month that had been turned from a time of grief and despair into joy and happiness. We're told to have these days with feasts and parties, giving gifts of food to one another and the poor. So interesting that this falls on our Heritage Weekend, where uh, we spoke off air earlier about <laughs> my feelings towards um, Desmond Tutu and how he helped kind of taint the idea of Heritage Day with the narrative of Bride Day. So we all come together and like I, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not anti people trying to like formalize a certain celebration. Uh but yeah, I, I always feel that it kind of like this was a very personal beef between Mordecai and Haman, but then was shown to be like the celebration day of when the Jews conquered their enemies. Did they really conquer their enemies here? What are they celebrating? What what they're celebrating is that um, that the queen was able to be influential enough with the king <coughs> and played her role in saving her people from destruction that was waiting for them should Haman have gotten the go-ahead to destroy Mordecai mm. that would have been a voice standing up to a form of um, uh, what you call that when you they want to destroy people uh, uh, um, when you went, went to annihilate a nation uh, um, genocide genocide so here was uh, obviously a, a kind of a, a, a genocide. So the queen uh, um, was able to play a significant role in asking not that which was for benefit of a personal self, but that of um, enabling her people to survive a plot to kill them. Israel seemed to be in that very precarious situation when they landed up in in the boat of exile and um, that they were targeted. And um, part of it is because of their disobedience. That's why exile happened. Mm. Um, and then, of course, in the exile, there are people threatened by them. Yes. <laughs> and so now we needed to, to get them. I mean, that word 
that you read there, but we are about to be destroyed and exterminated. Mm. This was the covenanted people of God in this very precarious circumstances, mm. very vulnerable to the rest of the nations around them, very powerless. Of course, um, there is <coughs> understanding that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, weren't, you know, necessarily genuinely all just of the same blood or whatever it was, uh, the same ethnic group, because coming out of the Egyptian um, exile, there must have been more than just the Hebrew slaves that journeyed out of there. At least some theologians believe that, and uh, I think it's widely more accepted. But as they, you know, developed together and became bonded through through the covenant with God and so on, uh, they, they developed into, unfortunately, in one level, a nationalistically minded people that were bonded by covenant, religious covenant, and by culture. And... Um, and um, and unfortunately saw their specialness uh, in a way that separated them, whereas they were supposed to be the priestly people of God when moving amongst the other nations to win people for God rather than to be enemies of people, but ended up in this case. So you have these heroes and heroines who are in this narratives of the Old Testament used now you say you see this is very interesting just because god's name's not mentioned doesn't mean god's not at work in the minds and hearts of people here's somebody speaking up for the liberation of people mm. now who was this people she was speaking about who is this that my people may live who's this my people that esther's talking about um they were the covenant of people of god they were the people saved from other circumstances such as this. But isn't this interesting? It comes down to this basis. Our heritage is not caught up in a piece of meat on a pry. Mm. It's caught up because many of our oppressed people dare to speak truth to power. Some along that journey of speaking truth to power died, lost their lives. Mm. We, we we were also um, joined by those who on the other side that where they could benefit from life believed it was wrong. So, <clears throat> so although we have a Mandela and we have uh, other people, but we also had a Winnie. We also have other women, yeah. uh, who, you know, who stood up. Who, who, but but sadly, women were never given. I mean, even how many? How long is Esther in the Old Testament? We don't see women playing these roles. We don't talk about them. Yeah. And and here she took the courage. Mordecai couldn't do this. He could only influence her to think along those lines. Mm. But she was right there in front of that powerful throne of the king who really only took her because she was beautiful. Her yes. beauty surpassed her Jewishness. The fact that she was a beautiful woman won over his heart. It's amazing what a so-called beautiful woman will do. Mm. Yeah, Esther's beauty is a heart for her people. Mm. And she could speak from the heart into the heart of the king. By the way, the king's name, other name was Ahasuerus, if I pronounced it correctly. Yeah. A-H-S-U-E-R-U-S. So I, I think, that, I think when we, when we, when we take this and, and, and let's speak to our context, I mean, let me take it, put it to my context. The first thing is that for a couple of weeks now, we've been listening to the feminine voice in the narrative. Yes. Wisdom yeah. comes through all the was 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 about women. Um, last week, um, Proverbs thirty one, the capable wife. Mm. This week, Esther. In the seasons of creation, that feminine attitude, reconciling both her human children with the children of all creation, as you so beautifully said, it we are all stardust, bringing us. To, to our common denominator, 
<coughs> in whatever way we want to express it. But again, a, a woman seeking to save her people, her children, mm. bringing them back, daring to speak truth to power, when she could have lost a life, she mm -hmm. took the risk to do that. So I, I think it's not for me the piece of meat on the brow, although that always tastes lovely as <laughs> well. Here it's about the voice of the unusual voice, presence of the unusual presence that speaks up for justice, that speaks up for people, that speaks up for the voiceless. That's the heritage South Africa has. Indeed, and this is reflected in our constitution <laughs> that we should always be very, very, very proud of. Um, yeah, because it respects humanity in a way that no other constitution does, or the freedom of humanity, the freedoms of humanity. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the Esther situation is also another example of the role of women in passing on cultural practices and passing on heritage, where I was explaining to my daughter um, about she had, <laughs> she tried to say something funny and had invented a new Afrikaans term. And I told her, you can't do that because Afrikaans is still too young. It's the youngest language in the world, created by the youngest people in the world. Um, by colored people, by the women who used to cook and clean and look after the children of the settlers. And yeah, they developed a language that they could speak to their, their bosses or their masters in, and then passed on that language to their children and their, um, whoever was in, in their village. And that became Afrikaans, which is of Africa. So, yeah, I I claim the identity, the colored identity, because of those women. Mm. The mother voices, aren't they the ones that linger along with us? Um, but we've got to combine them with parent voices. Yeah. Because our parent voices are very key to us. Um, why, why is there this desire for us also to, in telling our story, to have days of commemoration, days of observation? And it's always interesting to me that um, I was <laughs> the day before Heritage Day was Thursday. We were at a funeral coming from Valmut Cemetery, mm. where the wind mm. and the sand had gotten the better of us. And there was this young, um, in terms of racial classification, would be an Afrikaner young man in his shorts, brown shorts with his, um, you know, farm shoes yeah. that we would leather shoes, with a board showing us to turn off to get a free Boerewors roll oh, at wow. the industrial area on the side. Now, it wasn't practical for me to do that, although it made my mouth water to yeah. just think that there was somebody there who, who I would normally not have association with. But for, <coughs> for many years to come, he's going to stand out as the one who made this gesture that I've never seen done before, where the heritage was about sharing mm. something that somehow he and I would identify with, a piece of meat on a coal. Over against this fear we still have hanging over us, verse 4, but we are about to be destroyed and exterminated. That threat continues to hang over the minorities. Mm. It's a threat that the Constitution and our democracy must take seriously. Mm. If heritage is to be observed by all, and if South Africa is a country for all. And, and, and across the globe, we find that, that this has been part of our history. Now, here's the thing. Is our history also our heritage? I because believe it is. You said something about reframing 
the your historical novella. Yeah. Would we write into that reframing that heritage is what history it was experienced because here the days on which they were to commemorate was the day we observe, according to the Jews, was to rid themselves of their enemies. Mm. That was so in our heritage on the 24th of September. What enemies have we rid ourselves from? Do we still need to rid ourselves from? <clears throat> and these are not, yeah, it's plain and clear. It's those who are opposed to the Jews. It was people opposed to the Jews. But in our want for a peaceful country, a democracy in which everybody is fine, where even the voices of women are celebrated, a month ago, we had to remind ourselves on National Women's Day that women are still being murdered, raped, victimized every 26 seconds of the day. Now on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, um, in, in the octave of our heritage, they be hearing the voice of Esther in the portals of power saying, we do not want people to be exterminated and destroyed because they happen to be the majority, the minority. But then the Jews dare to celebrate the day that rids them of the enemies. Yeah. yeah. I hope our, our heritage, while symbolized on the bride, it's to burn away the sins of our injustice, mm. the sins of our prejudice, the sins of poverty, and illiteracy, the sins of improper housing, mm. the sins that classified, the sins that imprisoned people mainly by the because of the basis of their skin. I hope that those are amongst the stuff that we are saying on our heritage day, this is what we got rid of and are getting rid of. Not mm. people. Mm. Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, and that actually <laughs> goes nicely into. Uh, I'm I'm gonna combine James okay. chapter five thirteen to twenty and the gospel, which is according to Mark, because I think it offers the two sides of 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 the same coin and 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 i really want to 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 discuss this with you so um i'm just going to go down to verses 19 and 20 which is my friends if any of you wander away from the truth and another one brings you back again remember this whoever turns a sinner back from the wrong from the wrong way will save that sinner's soul from death and bring about the forgiveness of sins but then jesus here is talking about for truly i say to you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to christ will by no means lose his reward whoever causes one of those little ones who believe in me to sin it will be better for him to if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea and then he goes on this whole thing of like if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And then it's like for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So here are two ideas. The one is a very simple story of redemption. So it's if you wander from the truth and another brings you back, that sinner has saved the life and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. But Jesus is like, hey, if anything causes you to sin, like your hand, your eye, cut that off because there is no place for it in heaven. What is up with these two polar opposite ideas? 
Well, we can obviously we can obviously see sin is um, sin is a destructive measure. Mm. When we look at at sin against little ones, you know, when you start hurting the most vulnerable in your society, does that mean you've gotten so bad, so overtaken by sin in your life that when you can't eat out or, or, or against anybody, you look out what you consider to be the weakest, the most vulnerable about you. Mm. Now, if you've got mm-hmm. into that stage, is there is there still a measure, is there still capacity or potential for you to repent, to come around? So if you get to that point, what kind of message do we need to send you? It's, is it not the harshness of the kind of thing you truly want to change? Then you need to almost cut off stuff that you think. Now, obviously, this was not about self-mutilation because yeah. They, yeah. you get those practices there. But in other words, you've got some serious introspection to do to try and found, find out why you have caused your life to go down this road, that you would see it okay to call to to harm the the, the weakest or the most vulnerable amongst us, um, and when you make those ones even bad, mm. and we know how children are being abused for that purpose in in society, amongst if you've really caused vulnerable ones to turn away from me and to sin, you've mm. gotten so bad that your only redemption is if you start taking out things of your life. So you need to be very serious, very serious uh, in introspection. But the other way of dealing with sin is to confess it, to tell somebody, Hmm. to encourage a person to approach the altar of forgiveness, uh, where grace and mercy is met through word and through affirmation and confirmation of love, of forgiveness, of a new opportunity to start. Um, Incredibly, um, there's no doubt Jesus wasn't messing around with sin. Mm. But because it takes residence right deep, if we go back to the Esther story, how deep must Haman's hatred have been for the Jews, that he would be willing to put his own self on the line by wanting the queen, the favorite wife of the king's people to be destroyed. Mm. How deep must that have been? And so here we see that that sin is a serious business in whatever form it comes. It's a serious business. Um, And so Jesus celebrates those who at that stage may not have been part of his immediate disciple group, that we have to cast out that which is demonic, and we do so in the power of his name. And, of course, we have to understand what that demonic is because we can't be looking after behind every bush calling everything Like, like, like now with the whole question of COVID-19, it's being seen as the work of the devil. In um, certain circles. In certain circles, <laughs> yeah. And, and, so, so, and, so, and of course, if you are, have faith, then that demon of COVID-19 won't get you. <laughs> if, the, if the demon of COVID-19 got to you, somehow you've messed up with God. Is probably what that message is all about. But, you know... Yeah, Jesus is showing that, you know, it's possible that the people who have come to follow me, but not directly like you are, mm. and therefore mm. their involvement. And in so uh, the power of God's spirit was at work in the hearts and minds of those who would follow Jesus, like you and I who haven't seen him, but would have a focus on him, would embrace what he says, even though we haven't done, we haven't had a very personal, physical connection 
we have one through the scriptures, one through the teachings of the church, and one through the witness of those who have come to a faith in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would follow him and in his name do what he's been doing. So Jesus is doing what Desmond Tutu did that you um, <laughs> to have an issue about. Finding a way to bring people together who, who, who have for, 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 for a common denominator to work from that, a common foundation to work as a team rather than to see one another as constant enemies of each other. Mm. <coughs> Seems like young Bri, Jan Bry and Checkers um, were the actual <laughs> winners of that. Uh, but besides for that point, uh, but Glenn, why would a disciple of Jesus in the form of James have a different view of this kind of situation and not preach the same absolute judgment on sin and give rather ideas of redemption? Well, I look, I think it's interesting, though, that some people believe this was the brother of Jesus that wrote this letter. Mm. Um, they called him the man with the thick um, knees because he prayed so much. Huh. I think James was working within a community that he was writing to. And how does a Christian community care for one another? Mm. And so when he was looking at these things, he was giving them indication as to how a Christian community can deal with itself. But in dealing with itself, it becomes a community of hope for the outsiders, if I can put it like that. Um, that the one who was going to the cross to die for us dealt with the ultimate aggression, violence, and destruction of sin at its core. But now when sin is still around within our being, as Christians, we're still fighting off sin. <coughs> we're still sinning. How then in a Christian community do you deal with, with sin based on your understanding and your faith that what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us is redemption from that? So does redemption, does it, it, does it cancel out sin so that we're not sinning anymore? Or does it cancel out the fact that we will, that we will, that we still will, as it were, bear the brunt of what sin is but for us the passage to to be delivered from sin is by faith to accept what jesus did in the spirit of confession mm. and when we are able to confess to one another that may be maybe more than one thing if i've wronged you then as a, as one in the christian community i need to say sorry you know, Megan, the young lady that I worked with this afternoon on the farm, may have looked at me as a priest and says, why is he getting agitated? And I said to her, the time is going on. I realized if I didn't say to her, I'm sorry that I was a bit abrasive at that time, that I would have missed an opportunity to be reconciled with her, mm. knowing that she was doing a job. And so I could walk away having made my confession, knowing I don't have a burden of having upset somebody and not, not dealing with it. So, so, so that little small sin could cause an hiatus within relationships, could, could worsen what there is negatively, or could cause pain where, where it isn't. So I, I, I value how, how James was trying to assist the congregation. It does say the church is not perfect and it's mm. not for perfect mm. people. We have to work on ourselves, brother. Mm -hmm. That's what James mm -hmm. is saying. But we can do so together because of what Jesus did. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I was having 
similar kind of thoughts when I was looking at, at the text. Uh, but I do need to say one thing, though. Um, you mentioned uh, you spent a lot of time reflecting on the idea of turning the youngest, the most vulnerable away from Jesus. Um, I can't actually find the line now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin. Um, I just need to say as a point of order, <laughs> uh, uh, of honesty, um, sin, there isn't a situation that you can be put into where there isn't a chance at redemption. And if somebody has sullied your idea of yourself or coerced you into what you would consider to be a sin or a misdeed. It's not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of that person's manipulative power. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. And an opportunity to speak truth to the power that the person has over you by telling the story and honestly giving an account of what happened. It's not a reason to feel helpless. It's not, I, I have a friend who took his own life because he was involved in some um, drug situations that led to sexual favors and abuse. And he obviously felt like he could not talk about it. He felt embarrassed and he felt that if the story had to come out via the abusers, that he could not live with that truth. And yeah, it's it's always possible to to come out of those situations. 100% I agree with you. But here I put it to you. Because we lack a deep sense of being a true community that James was working on. Mm. Sometimes even the church would not have been an open, safe space for that young man to come to confess. In other words, to come and speak about that. Yeah. Because yeah. church communities are often seen as people of judge judgmentalism. Mm-hmm. And so the victim who needs pastoral care and counseling, who needs an open door to say it's safe to come in here, have heard too many stories of how the church's leadership and the church's community and sometimes the church's teachings have let the victim down. Mm. In fact, perhaps the church has a history of speaking more up for the perpetrator than, the per than, than would have been for the victim. And yet, when we celebrate the Eucharist, we are, we are celebrating the one who became the victim for us. Mm. But we can't seem to translate that into our pastoral language, into our preaching, into our counseling, into our community life that will ensure the victim, he has a space, she has a space there. They don't need to give their life up. They can come and find life within the community that Jesus came to establish. So we, ha so we need writers and, and leaders like James who can speak directly to and help build up a the Christian community. I was busy with somebody the other day, a couple. Uh, she's coming over from another church. And one of the questions she asked was quite interesting. In the 21st century, what's the dress code of the church <laughs> from a woman's perspective? Wow. That people should still ask a question like that means we've not yet moved forward. What they're hearing from the church is that it's still a place of exclusivity mm. and not inclusivity and love. 
Is that what James was trying to work towards? In this context where you're sitting here should be a place that you can confess to one another without fear of prejudice and judgment, but rather to find the forgiving love of God and the forgiving presence of God here amongst us. Mm. You know that question here, salt is good, but if it's lost its saltiness, how will it be salty again? Must be a question we have to ask ourselves as the church. Because the church is meant to give flavor. Mm. And the word, the, the, the worship that we hear, the context of our worship, the liturgy bringing together the, you know, the dynamic of, 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 of prayer and, 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 and confession and um, scripture and uh, intercessions and the breaking of the bread was meant to, to become, fav, 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 uh, become a flavor that is that 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 helps the the, the 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 taste buds of those who've lost their taste because of sin to regain a new sense of life when we interact with one another. Because what is it? If you have salt in yourself, you will be at peace with one another. There will not be judgment. Mm. <coughs> you will be at peace. You'll be helping one another. So isn't it sad that such a brother? loses it and yet the grace of God in his moment of losing his life the grace of God was sufficient for him is my belief his death does not diminish God's grace even at that moment when he was probably doing here if your hand has caused you to sin, then cut it off. Mm. You know, um, God's grace is sufficient. So I look at that brother through the lens of grace. Mm. And the fact that you can tell his story in this public way must say to others in that same boat, there is hope. Mm. Don't give up. But help us to become a church community that people who are victimized can find the space. Is <clears throat> mm. to change the mind of a king who had captured people for slavery and who's whose, whose um, leadership wanted to destroy them, she found a place of protection for the victim by speaking truth to power. Mm. Yeah, that's why I, I enjoyed uh, when, when, I, when I saw these two, the New Testament text and the gospel put together where it shows the evolution of thought from the idea of like, absolutes to an idea of community of interpersonal relations overcoming whatever you know where someone can find redemption find peace find justice through communication and yeah i think i will i will close off on that Thank you very much. I think this was another important conversation. Um, and if you could please extract a few other points of reflection from the praise of the church. Okay. Thanks very much, Lindsay. I want to um, proceed with the prayers, just re reiterating our Lord's words at the end of the gospel reading, where he invites us or challenges us. Have faith. Uh, sorry, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Our theme was to pray and to act for the common home. Includes all of humanity. So we are grateful in prayer today for the many gifts God has given us. The beauty of the earth, the abundance of its creatures for food to nourish us and water to quench our thirst.
for the seasons that mature us and the relationships that sustains us. So our prayers that we may be good stewards of creation using our skills and talents for the benefit of all. But we also remember that many people's lives have already been affected by climatic changes, especially the poorest, the most vulnerable throughout the world. So God, we pray, be with them and suffuse them with a gift of hope and strength to fight for a better world. We pray for our churches around the world and as communities of faith, we may be active participants in work for climatic justice. And so we pray for those in positions of leadership, that they may use their voices to speak out on behalf of those most vulnerable to climatic change and the whole of God's creation. We also pray for ourselves that we may recognize the invitation to discipleship as a gift. Remembering the words of our Lord, have salt in yourselves so that you may be at peace with each other. <clears throat> Lord, may we open ourselves to recognizing the many people and places in God works, building relationships with all who strive to protect God's creation. And so in the words of blessing of Archbishop Tagung Khoba, we light a candle for climatic change. Spirit of God, you, 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 you establish the dance of creation. Bring life out of death. Bring order out of chaos. Call us to radical action, to care for the web of creation, to share our resources justly, and to work for the renewal of Mother Earth. So by lighting this candle, and I hope you light a candle in your home, we commit ourselves to act, and pray for climatic justice. And when we pray for climatic justice, we think of our young people in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our homes. The world is uncertain and confusing for them growing up. So as we pray for climatic justice, for the preserve of the earth, for them and future generations, show them the path of life enabling them to triumph over failure and frustration and to hold fast their faith in you, to keep alive their joy in your creation. We also pray that you may help us recognize our common humanity, even as we shared on Heritage the 24th for our country, that our constitution and our democracy will help us share in the uniqueness of our commonalities and in the diversity that we share and accompany one another along the journey of life. Lord, COVID continues to play a very significant role in the way the world is at the moment. We look to you as the author of life and the one who's come to save the nations. Many people have died and we mourn them. And as we think of the deaths, we think of those who stubbornly refuse to maintain protocols, even to receive the vaccines, for which we are grateful. Lord, we pray that now that we're thinking of mandatory principles for vaccinations, and the arguments, the rejection of all of that. Let us look, Lord, to what people have to do when they compassionately care for those suffering of the virus. 
Forgive us for our selfishness when we do not think of the common good. And help us to look at the deaths which we mourn to learn from them and to be grateful for the recoveries that are made. And therefore, we plead for compliance. So may you bless all celebrating births and wedding anniversaries this week. And as we ask your blessing on our continent of Africa, you may bless all continents, guarding the children, guiding the leaders, give them grace to work for peace, for Jesus Christ's sake. And then in conclusion, we pray that we will go out into this week and celebrate wherever God's name is on us, is honored. When suffering comes, let us pray in faith. In the times of joy, let us sing songs of praise. Let us be those who persevere in prayer and action and bring the fallen back to the truth. My sisters and brothers, may God save you from all that would harm you. May Christ Jesus heal you and raise you up. And may the Holy Spirit anoint you and give you peace with one another. So, go in peace with courage, love and to serve. Go in the name.